Tyler Smiley. And I'm John Morrison. And this is the Rooted and Grounded Podcast. Rooted and Grounded creates theological content to grow the church and our knowledge of God in order that we would grow in our love for Him and for our neighbor. Check out more at rootedandgrounded.co. I used my radio voice on that one. Could you tell? That was excellent. Thank you. You should get a program. I tried really hard and uh, wanted to do a good job on that one because we've been off for a couple weeks. It's true. I think two weeks. We didn't talk about numbers in our Eden to Exile reading plan on our podcast, but if someone was very inquisitive and just said, I need some help with numbers, what could they do? You don't even have to be very inquisitive. You could just be inquisitive. Uh, Rootedandgrounded.co. There's a nice introduction written by yours truly on the book of Numbers. So go to the website, check it out. It's a good little article, great uh, intro. And and then you can also see the new and upgraded, updated website. Because it's looking good now. Yeah, I think it looks great. So... Uh, we're going to go to Joshua because that's where our reading plan takes us next in Eden Exile, OT19. We're finishing Deuteronomy with only one chapter, and then we're straight into Joshua. Why that's did right. we want to read one chapter of Deuteronomy? Uh, to help us just get the whole story, uh, right? Deuteronomy is Moses retelling the law before the people enter the promised land. But at the end of, Mos- at the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. And so we read Deuteronomy 34 just to remember the the death of Moses and sort of the consequences of his sin of disobeying the Lord, uh, but God's grace and showing him the promised land, and then sort of that transition from Moses to Joshua. And Deuteronomy is intended to do what? What is the point of the book of Deuteronomy? Intended to retell the law. Right. Right. It's the second telling of the law to prepare the people to enter the promised land. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, because the people who are about to enter were not at Sinai or they weren't adults at Sinai. Right. Um, when the, when God first gave the law. And so they're rehearing or they're hearing it. Moses is retelling it, preparing them to become uh, the people God has wanted them to be in the land God has promised them. And now they're getting ready to go into the land which is where Joshua comes in. That's right. Son of Nun, which is a funny, uh, audibly way to hear it. I mean, it's N-U-N, but when we say Son of Nun, it's like, do they have no parents? <laughs> That's why it's funny. It's funny they didn't give you the uh, first sermon in Joshua. I it's think that, that you would have gotten humor. a good five minutes out of that joke. It's that kind of humor that keeps people coming back. Those yes. soft touches it, mm, that are... Really humanizes you. It does. It does. You're not perfect. You have a bad sense of humor. There it is. So I take that as a compliment. <laughs> so after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, who was Moses's assistant. And so this is Joshua then, uh, transition and leadership. And Joshua the name, I mean, maybe it would be mm-hmm. helpful to recognize his name and how it comes back up later in the Bible in a quite significant way. Yes, I think you did better in Hebrew than I did. So could you pronounce a Joshua in Hebrew for us? I'm going to go with Yeshua. Mm, very good, very good. And uh, that's Hebrew. Yes. And in Greek... How would you... Yeah, how would you translate that to Greek? If you were translating to Greek, well, no one who knows how to pronounce it is still alive. But Iesus, Iesus. Mm. How might we say that in English? Which we may say in English, Jesus. Oh, there... 
So, in fact, the name Jesus is the same name as the Hebrew name Joshua. Right. And the interesting thing about Joshua, right? You, if you remember the story of the spies and numbers, he starts out as Hosea, right, which just means salvation or mm-hmm. deliverance. And then I think it's Numbers thirteen, uh, Moses will change his name to Joshua, which means the Lord Yahweh saves, Yahweh delivers. Which is really, in many ways, the theme of the book of Joshua is that the Lord is going to deliver His people into the land. Of course, that ties in with Jesus, right? Salvation Which is exactly why Lord. Jesus is named as he's named. Mm-hmm. Uh, why uh, Mary and Joseph are told to give him the name because he will save his people. So there we go. Joshua, an important name, significant in that. Comes back up later. Very much focused on Jesus. That's right. Hey, this is interesting. Joshua one one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they call? What do they call Moses there? You see that? The Lord's servant? Yeah, the servant of the Lord, the right. Lord's servant. Right. And then Moses, or, and then Joshua is Moses' assistant. Right. Or Moses' aide. Right. And so I think uh, throughout the book of Joshua, Moses is over and over again called the servant of the Lord or the Lord's servant. Joshua. Right. Always called Moses' aide. But then you get to the end of the book. Joshua 24? 24. Okay. Let me make sure I can find this. Um... And Joshua will actually be called the Lord's servant. So it's sort of Is yeah, that right? 24, 29. Yeah. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And so throughout the book, it's sort of like his life is completed. And then reflecting back, it says he served the Lord just like Moses, just as Moses did. That's great, and especially in the first chapter, you see why it's significant that they want to tie him into Moses. That's right. Because this is a direct fulfillment of what God had promised to Moses. So he's very much so tied to the ministry that Moses was commissioned on. That's right. And, I mean, you think about Deuteronomy 34, how it ends, that there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt to favor him to all his servants for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Like, he's the one. He's the prophet. He's yep. the leader. And so Joshua to be given by the end of the book for the for sort of this narrative account of Joshua to reflect back and say, Moses was a servant of the Lord. Joshua has shown himself faithful. He too is a servant of the Lord but we're not there yet in chapter one. In chapter one, uh, especially at the end, you see the people answering to Joshua, saying, just like we obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Mm -hmm. So they're seeing this connection. It's important for them. And in chapter one, uh, when he's preparing the people to go into the land, you just get so much uh, significant language happening here. Like repeated language, be strong and courageous. It's used multiple times. It's three times at least in the first 10 verses. It's again in the people's response mm-hmm. to Joshua. So, uh, you know, they say if the Bible has repeated phrases, maybe you should pay attention to them. Seems true in life. Okay. It's also true in reading the Bible. There you go. So what are we supposed to get out of this strong and courageous? Why why is there an emphasis in the first chapter of being strong and courageous? 
Yeah, I think you think about this command to be strong and courageous. It feels a little bit like um, someone prepping you like, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to yeah, be okay. Right. Like, it feels like something scary is about to happen, right. right? Why do I need to be strong and courageous? Well, there's probably something coming that's going to make you feel uh, neither strong nor courageous. And I mean, they're about to enter the promised land. And we've already seen one generation who wasn't able to enter because of their fear, mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't trust the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably a good point here is when it, with that, these commands three times to Joshua, be strong and courageous. It begins with the promise from the Lord, I will be with you. And then it, in verse five, that's in verse five. And then in verse nine, after he's been told the third time to be strong and courageous, the Lord says, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. So this isn't Joshua's strength and courage. It's really the Lord being with him. That's allowing him, enabling him to be strong and courageous. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, recognizing what they're facing, what they're mm-hmm. preparing for in themselves and seeing how the Lord is going to work in their own time because we could have the tendency maybe to just think about all the ways we need to be strong and courageous and there are plenty of those but it's good to first note what they're what they're facing. That's they're right. They're facing a land full of enemies mm-hmm. that they've been promised that they've scouted out once before and uh, they're not sure that they can take it, possession of it. Right. They're also going to be faced with the decisions of uh, if they were to get the land, are they going to obey God or are they going to take foreign gods? I mean, that seems to be a, a battle that they constantly are fighting over and over. So there, there are so many ways and that they have to be strong and courageous that are uh, unique to them, specific mm-hmm. to them, mm-hmm. but that also do carry over more than just oh, I need to, you know, have a lot of courage to do things that I want to do in my life. But courage to obey God. Right. To not chase after foreign gods in our own time. To not turn to our left or to our right away from God's word and his truth. I mean, all these ways that that they are uniquely going to be challenged. We can also be challenged in very similar ways so that that call of being strong and courageous can sort of keep that same focus and aim and not just giving us this, I don't know, limitless courage to achieve great things that we think will make us happy or, you know, whatever it is. Right. I think what you're saying there is a very, it's a really important principle for reading the Bible is that you have to apply through the context. Like you can't just take a command and say, okay, now I'm going to do this because the Bible says it, or I'm going to be able to be strong and courageous because the Bible the Lord told Joshua to be strong and courageous, but to look at it through the surrounding narrative, through its context and say, okay, through what's happening there, how does that then connect to my life? So mm-hmm. you have to understand it first in what's happening to then really to be able to make appropriate application. So everything you're saying, right, pursue the Lord's promises with strength and courage, obey the law, obey all that God has told us to do with strength and courage. Like, these things connect at that level, not... Um, just generically pursue your happiness courageously. Yes, exactly. All right. Now, this is, uh, chapter one is fantastic. I mean, it's just, and if you're reading it, just tracking right along mm-hmm. in the narrative, I mean, you're getting excited now. I mean, you ought to, at least, because now they're getting ready to go in to the land. I mean, to be fair, it's taken five books to get to this point. 
It's building up right. to something. We've been uh, we've been hearing about this promised land since at least Genesis 17, right? That uh, God has promised this land to Moses. Then we had to go to Egypt mm-hmm. through the Exodus, mm-hmm. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, right. which took up about two whole books of the Bible. Right. Not short books either, just to be clear. That's right. Yeah, long yeah. books. May have felt like 40 years while you were reading through it. Really did, and we only read part of it. <laughs> I've actually come to ha- I really love Leviticus now because of me this too. study. It's yeah. been great. Oh, me too. Yeah. It's been fantastic. But we didn't spend a lot of time in Numbers and Deuteronomy. You know what was also an interesting uh, sort of uh, interesting insight that we had just when we were getting ready to start was that there being these people have now in the Exodus been saved out of Egypt, mm. but now there's this entrance into a land, which is just a great visual imagery of what God's salvation looked like for them in its whole picture and also how that may be read for the salvation that God gives to us in Christ. You know, I think Charles Spurgeon has a great quote. Tyler just read us a Spurgeon quotation before that. As as he's wont to do, he has a Spurgeon quotation handy for every situation. Since you mentioned Spurgeon. Oh, I just happened to mention it. I just happened to have a quote right here that he... How convenient. It is time we take a possession of that goodly heritage the Lord has made our own, Spurgeon says. For in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. And uh, for Spurgeon, he says, as they prepare to cross over the Jordan, that they're not only being saved from something, but saved to. Just like us, saved from sin, that makes us safe. Saved to holiness, and this makes us happy. We may realize our completeness in Christ this day and cease from wanderings of fear. Mm. So even in the Exodus, they're saved out of slavery. And now through Joshua, who will, Yahweh saves his people into the land that God has given them. And in, in the same way, in Christ, being saved from the sin and destruction and death, in which we find ourselves, into an inheritance that in Christ right. we have obtained, Ephesians 1. Great little imagery. Great uh, reading there by our good friend, Mr. C.H. Spurgeon. Now, this hasn't yet become the Spurgeon podcast, but worth noting that how he equates holiness and happiness. I just think that's fascinating. We don't usually do that. People usually see holiness as uh, the antithesis of as happiness. As not happiness. Yeah. yeah. But he sees true happiness as in holiness. Oh, is that fantastic? All right, Tyler. Okay. Let's keep going. Sorry. Back to Joshua. Back away to from Joshua. Charles. And uh, I want to look at chapter two. Uh, me too. Well, this is fascinating. Yeah. What do you, so, I mean, the whole thing is about, all of Joshua is about defeating the Canaanites. Mm-hmm. And then we have this lady and her family who gets saved. Right. What do, what what do we do with this? What is what is happening What's here? What's the point? And there are lots of questions that come up with this, too. Yes. Like, you know, she uh, pretty much lies to protect them. Sneaks, you know, sneaks them out of the city and is doing all these things. And, to, and that it's... Uh, even these things are used by God to save, protect them, save them. But this story, it almost interrupts the narrative, really, to me. That it's just sort of placed there in the middle of they're preparing to go into the land and everything's being set. But hang on, we got to send these spies in to check it out and scout out the land again to see what's happening. 
Right. And it gives us a little glimpse about how the Canaanites are preparing for the Israelites. Right. right. That they are full of fear and trembling, knowing all that the Lord has already done. I mean, this is what Rahab says to them. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And then just sort of recounts all these things God has done. Isn't that fascinating? It's amazing. And that she would say that uh, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. So they're they're starting to uh, hear and really recognize who this God is that the Israelites serve, worship, Mm -hmm. proclaim as the one true God. And uh, it's not gone unnoticed in the land that they're getting ready to take possession of, apparently. Well, I think that's, as I think about Joshua as a book, so much of it is showing us how God is faithful to his promise to Abraham. I mean, so it's not by accident that in Joshua 5 that they are circumcised. I mean, Mm -hmm. the very the very act, the very covenant ceremony right. that is connected with the promise of the land in Genesis 17, they do right before they enter the land. Actually, sort of right looking at Jericho. Mm-hmm. Not the wisest battle tactic, mm-hmm. as we learn. Right. I think that's uh, Genesis 34. There you go. You are a bit indisposed <laughs> after the circumcision ceremony. Uh, so maybe not the wisest military tactic, but it's a calling to mind what God has already promised. That's right. Uh, that they have this sign on their bodies that God has promised this land to them. That's right. So you have a people, you have a land, but that other part of the Abrahamic promise is that they will be a blessing to the nations. And I feel like Rahab is this this little hope, this yep. little seed, that even though God is judging most of the Canaanites for their, for their evil, I mean, as the Pentateuch has made clear so far, they have been evil, they are acting in an evil way, their time is up in the land, God is judging them. There is hope for those who recognize what Rahab did, that the, that the Lord is God over all the earth. Mm-hmm. He is Lord in heaven. So I think there's just that glimpse that there's something, even though we have a people and we have a land, there's that part of the Abrahamic promise that still still has to happen. It's, it's always there. Yeah, it's always there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's showing itself. And that they are... I mean, what what Rahab says as a report about how the people there are thinking about this God, and yet their response is, well, we got to get ready to fight. Not, well, maybe we should take this seriously. Maybe we should consider who this God is. But no, we got to get ready to fight and try to beat them. Even though it seems like, I mean, according to her, She's pretty confident that if the Israelites come and fight, they're going to win. And if I, I want to be with you guys, just That's let right. the record show, I believe that this God is the true God. And how she uses God's personal name, Yahweh, mm. time and time again in this account. I mean, what you said earlier, you're, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Amazing. And isn't it fantastic, even just the small details of the story that, oh, she just so happens to live in her home built into the wall. Mm. Not not an interior home, but she's right. got a window, wall, wall window home, in which, with which Say to... Say that three times fast. That, that's a tongue twister. With which to lower them down. 
to right. get them out of the city yes. and and back into hiding for three days until they can get back to their camp and and report back what they found. It's just fascinating. All right, two eighteen. Okay, scarlet cord. Oh wow. Mmm. Well, there's just isn't this a a wonderful now, image? Just a question: Has there been anything else in the the story we've read so far about like putting something red on like your doorpost? Gosh, you know, it sounds so familiar. I want to say Red Sea. No, there's <laughs> a, <laughs> there are up close. Let's close, just think of you. other red things. Yeah, they're red. <laughs> but think about the Passover. What happens at the Passover That's is right. that the Israelites spread the blood, the mm-hmm. red, on their doorframe so that yep. the angel of death passes over them. And then you, here you have right, red spread yep. over the entrance to your home, over the window, so that destruction shall be delivered from destruction. That's right. And it's like, it's just, to me, again, it's this little hint that the nations are meant to be included in God's saving purposes. Yeah. And that's really what the Old Testament we see. Yep. Just as the Old Testament goes on, continues to be this focus that God is not just the God of the descendants of Abraham, but he is the God of all the earth. And so just as the Israelites were saved through the Passover, so even now like Rahab, the Gentiles can be saved through faith in the Lord. And again, you really see God's salvation and mercy and grace in the midst of true and right judgment. Mm. Just like with the, the story of the bronze serpent that we read a couple weeks ago is our reading plan that in the midst of his people's rebellion against him and uh, which came to be judged by being bitten by venomous and poisonous snakes and yet he provide you know a way of salvation so they may not may not die uh, in this too there's judgment for rebelling against the one true God and yet in the in the midst of that to your point is that hope in Rahab, that glimmer of hope that God is going to save uh, people from all nations. His judgment comes with mercy and grace, and all of this is tied into the one true God and how he uh, loves, operates, judges, upholds righteousness, mm. holiness. All this is wrapped in together into the same story. That's right. And I, with Rahab, I think it's amazing. You turn to Matthew 1, and Matthew, in the genealogy of Jesus, picks up on Rahab. Here is Matthew lists four Gentile women in the genealogy of Jesus, and Rahab's one of them. That's right. That these people who, in Matthew's day, would have been been considered outsiders, he's at pains to show, no, no, this Savior is from the nations and for the nations. That's right. Yeah. Uh, All right, we've got like five minutes, I think. All right, so now we just need to do three and four. Oh, no, we've got more than five minutes. But we're getting close to having five minutes. Mm. So mm. just take you know, that for what it's worth. Yeah, so. Oh, good. We uh, should really get like a clock. I should have one. A big, big wall clock. Huh? We talked about a clock. I know. I should have a big wall clock. I would like to point out, it has been very confusing. That voice you hear in the background is also Joshua. It's the voice of Joshua. So to speak about the book of Joshua when we have the voice of Joshua is... In the presence of Joshua. Yeah, quite amazing. But also... Confusing. Yeshua mm. and Jesus. Lots of Joshua's happening right now. Yeah. So three I'm thinking of. We got <laughs> so we gotta get to, to when they actually cross the the river. Yes. Cross the Jordan River. And 
to do that, they take the Ark of the Covenant to the banks of it, get in into, and it becomes sort of this crossable land again. Speaking of things that sound familiar, that sounds familiar also. A little bit like the Red Sea. There it is. Hey, so is the Ark like magic? Is that why the waters just part? Uh, I'm drawing most of my research from Indiana Jones. Mm. And oh, this is good. You're right. And it seems like the Ark of the Covenant has magical and terrifying So where powers. is it you're getting your PhD again? From, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say those names in association. Is it from Sears? Are you doing it online? Is that right? Uh, let's just be clear and say no. Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. The Ark of the Covenant doesn't have these sort of hidden magical in and of itself powers that does all of these amazing and magical things. So what is, what's the point of the Ark going before the people? What is that showing us? The Ark was always representing God's presence. Mm-hmm. So I think you want to see what God has promised in so Joshua 1. Where was the Ark again? Where was it not oh, right. when it's not here? Okay, so starts in the Holy of Holies. In the tabernacle. In the tabernacle. Okay. In, in the camp among the people becomes okay. the place of God's dwelling among his people. And now it's finding itself moved in front of and leading the people into this land, which is no small movement. Don't know exactly how it traveled. Don't know if it was covered. Don't know if it was hidden, if it was plain in sight. I don't know. But it's there now, which is fantastic. And that uh, the ark, which represents God's presence, is showing that his presence is going before them. But in a lot of the same ways, too, the Red Sea. I mean, it's God, uh, his promises to Moses, and even lifting up his arms. And, I mean, all these things that God, that he has his people do, and through these things work, you think, okay, well, it wasn't Moses who made the sea sort of part uh, and the Red Sea part so they could walk across, but, but yet he's very intimately involved in it. So mm. God is using his people to accomplish the things he's doing, but it's never the people themselves right. that somehow possess this magical power. So the ark, though, is God's presence in front of his people, leading them, setting the way. Maybe another visual sign, I will be with you. Look, I am with you. I'm taking you into this land. And then four... I mean, four is almost just a retelling mm-hmm. of three, right? Right. So talk about things that are rep- repeated that need to be, re- that are important. Which in itself says how to repeat it when you're asked by your children. How did God save us? What do those stones mean when you see those stones? Mm. Uh, repeat it to your children. Tell, the, tell what God has done, again, that he is... Uh, saved us. He has brought us out of Egypt. He has taken us into the land. He's parted seas. He's kept us uh, safe. You know, I mean, all these things is to repeat over and over again. And I think that's, we've seen this in Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, throughout the Pentateuch, throughout this, uh, this recounting the story of God's redemption is this idea, remember and repeat. Like, remember what God has done and repeat it to your children. Uh, just because we're on this theme of the nations. On in 424, 
This is about telling your children when they ask about the stones. And then 424 says, This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. But again, there we're starting to get these little drops. This is for all the peoples that they would all know that yeah. the Lord is God. Yeah. Just like Rahab. That's right. And uh, even with repetition, to see how they build that into the telling of the story. So think about ways that they'll repeat often what God has done, or God will repeat often the same phrases, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. Right. So, and even in how they obey God, that when God says something, instead of them writing, Joshua writing, and so we did what he's, they'll say, God said to do this, X, Y, Z, and we did X, Y, Z. I mean, it's repetitively showing this is how you follow God, this is how you honor God, that you keep God's commands, as he, as he said, as he showed, that you repeat what he has spoken mm. often to, uh, to your children, to the nations, to all who would hear, that, uh, to your point exactly, repetition and memory become this theme that just works its way over and over and over again through even the telling of the story. But I think it's reflecting how they understood what it meant to follow God, that you repeat it often. Uh, by repeating it, you're reminding yourself often mm. so that even on a daily basis, if you're forgetting who God is, well, now you have something to look at or you have something to hear or something to remind you. Um, and in the same way, they'll, they'll call God not to forget us because I know he's trustworthy, so let us not forget God. So all these ways are, are uh, tools to remind us who God really is, what he's done. So how do we, how do we apply that? I think we, re- we apply that in a lot of the ways that, well, you just pointed out, that there is an uh, emphasis on telling, telling this, repeating the uh, story of God, telling who Jesus is, going into all the nations, uh, reminding ourselves daily, telling our children. I, mean, I think that's a really clear way to not assume that they'll just grow up and get it, mm. but tell our children who God is, teach them what we understand, and uh, bring it often to our memories, what God has done. So that's Joshua 1 through 4. And next week, we'll get ready to talk about the next five chapters. I'm going out on a limb and assuming it is the next five chapters. Yes. That sounds right. Yes. Was that not common? Yes. There it is. Five through nine. And we'll continue the story of Joshua and how they enter into the land, uh, into Jericho. And boy, they have some very interesting strategies for taking over a city. I'm kind of interested to hear what you think about that. Well, you're going to have to tune in next week. Okay. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Tyler.